Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Hey everybody, it is great to have you back with us this Sunday. Uh, it is my pleasure to be able to get a chance to speak today as we wrap up John and the study that we've been going through. Uh, but before I jump into that, I want to share with you uh, that John is back. Pastor John is back from his mini sabbatical. As you guys know, he took the last three plus weeks, spent some time away in prayer, just getting rest, getting a chance to connect with God. And uh, it's exciting to have him back. So if you've got something that you've been waiting for the last three or four weeks, you're like, oh, I want to talk to John. I've got this thing I want to share with him. Or, oh, I want to share this funny meme to John on Facebook, but he's been off of Facebook. He's back, and I would encourage you, this would be a great time. Reach out, let him know that you missed him, let him know that you love him, and uh, I know he would appreciate hearing from all of you or any of you. All right, so we're going to jump into the message for the day, and, and I'm going to start, I want to tell you a story. It's about a time before Eve and I were married. In fact, we were going through our premarital classes and during those classes, we completed a survey. It was designed to show where there were any gaps, anything that we hadn't talked about, any blind spots in our, in our marriage or as we were getting ready to go into marriage. And one of those questions that was in that survey, in those, that questionnaire thing that we filled out, was how many kids do you wish you had or how many kids do you want to have? My answer to that question was zero. And Eve's answer to that question We'll just say it was something significantly higher than zero. So as you can imagine, that caused a little bit of tension and a little bit of discussion. Fast forward a little ways, and we've been married for a few years. We've had kids, and we're having one of those, uh, those conversations that are maybe a little bit more passionate than others, if you, if you know what I mean, if you follow what I'm saying. And I made a statement that I never wanted to have kids. It's one of those things that I said, and I wish I could take back. I wish I had never actually said it. And then to make matters worse, my kids know what I said. They knew, know that I've said that. They know that I didn't ever want to have kids. And then my fear was, what are my kids going to think? What, how does that look to them? Since that time, I've apologized for saying that. I've told my kids so many times that I love them. I have gone uh, to numerous sporting events with my kids, different activities with my kids. We've done things together. I've listened to what's going on in their life. They've had a chance to share with me things that are on their mind, things that are bothering them. I've done what I can to let them know that I love them and that they mean the world to me and that I would never want to not have them in my lives. Today we're going to look at the book of John, and we're going to hear a story about a guy who said something that he wished he had never said. A guy who screwed up and how Jesus restored him and how Jesus reaffirmed him and what Jesus had called him to previously. But before we do that, let's take a minute and pray. God, I ask that today that you would use my words, that they wouldn't be my words, but that they would be your words, that your spirit would be meeting with anybody that's listening to this message at any point 
whether it's now, whether it's online later, whether it's in person, whatever it might be. I ask God that it wouldn't be my words, but that it would be your spirit speaking through me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, let's uh, look at John 21. And if you have your Bible or your Bible app, it's in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John is one of the four Gospels. The Gospels are the, the part of the Bible that tells about the life of Jesus. And there's four different ones, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell it from just a little bit different perspective. They include many of the same stories and many of the same uh, lessons, but told from different perspectives. And uh, we've been talking through the book of John. We've been preaching through the series for the better part of a year. And we're getting to the end of that. We're in John 21. There's 21 chapters in the book of John. So we're getting to the end of that. Uh, so let's read here. And if you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen. John 21 says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed by with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to him, or appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of God, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do like, as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let them know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain until I uh, remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As you follow me, 
uh, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of the believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Interesting side note here. We hear several times about the disciple Jesus loved. And that's how John, who wrote the book of John, referred to himself. He referred to himself as the one Jesus loved. So that's just a, a free tidbit of information. I would love to someday maybe do a sermon on that, on how much Jesus loves you and loves me, and that we could all refer to us as the one Jesus loved. But John got that. He realized Jesus loved him. But again, that's not what the sermon's about today. In fact, there's a lot of other things going on in this chapter here. One of the early things that jumps out to me was how the disciples were fishing. And I wonder to myself, how could these guys spend three years with Jesus, see him crucified, then see him alive again, and not be telling everyone what they had seen? When Jesus had invited several of them to follow them, they were out fishing. These were professional fishermen. And he invited them to give up their fishing and become fishers of men, to give up what their career was and to follow him. So I asked myself, what were they doing fishing? Why had they gone back to doing what God had called them from? Had they forgotten what they had seen? Had they had forgotten that they had seen this and learned from this man, Jesus, who was also God, who took on their sins on the cross, died, and then rose again? I mean, they'd already seen him twice. They knew he was alive. How could they, how could they go back to fishing? And maybe... Maybe I'm the only one that wonders that as you're reading that. I know I do think too much, and I get a lot going on in my head, so, so maybe it's just me. But as I was researching this, one of the commentators pointed out that, that a number of rabbis, in addition to doing their preaching and teaching, had other jobs. In fact, if you look at Paul's life, we know that he was a tent maker. In addition to being a missionary, in addition to writing the majority of, or a large portion of the New Testament, in addition to all of that, he also was a tent maker. And so we, what, what I learned as I looked at that was that they weren't necessarily giving up their mission. They weren't necessarily not preaching, but that it wasn't actually uncommon for them to have two jobs. And I found that encouraging because not only am I a pastor, but I also, and let me just pause there, I love pastoring. I love the people I get a chance to lead. I love getting a chance to get to know people and to love on people. I, I absolutely love that and enjoy that. But I also enjoy the other things I do. I also enjoy business. I also enjoy leading people on that side. And it was encouraging to me as I read this that, that Jesus and, and the disciples that actually that followed him probably did more than just lead as pastors and leaders in the early church. So that was encouraging to me, but, but that's not what I'm going to talk about today. I love how after fishing all night, these guys in the boat listened to Jesus, and they took their net and threw it on the other side. These were professional fishermen. They knew what they were doing. 
They had worked all night and hadn't caught anything. Yet when Jesus said, throw it on the right side of the boat, they listened, they obeyed Jesus, and when they did, he blessed their obedience. And there was so much that their nets were full. In fact, it sounds like they couldn't even pull them out of the water. I could preach a sermon on that part. I could preach on the fact that, that Jesus, or the disciples, obeyed Jesus, and he blessed their obedience. But again, that's, that's not what I'm going to preach on this morning either. What I want to focus on is three verses in this passage from John 21. It's verses 15 through 17, so I'm going to read them again. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. One of the points I want to make today is that your words are impactful. Do you remember what had happened previously regarding Peter? If we go back to John 13, so several chapters ago, in verses 37 and 38, Peter tells Jesus that he's willing to die for him. And Jesus responds and tells him that, Peter, tomorrow you will deny me three times. Peter says, I would deny you, I, I, I would die for you, Jesus. Jesus says, actually, you're going to deny me three times. Over the previous years, Jesus had traveled with a large group of people. We know about the 12 disciples and how they spent a lot of time with Jesus, but there was a group bigger than that that was traveling with Jesus. There's a couple times that they're referred to. Uh, one of those times, Jesus sends them out in pairs uh, to, to different communities. Another time that we know about this is from the book of Acts. And it's after Judas had betrayed Jesus. And so instead of having 12 of the apostles, they were down to 11. And they had to choose from those people, that other people that had been following the entire life of Jesus, one person to replace Judas as a member of the 12. So we know that there was more than just the 12. There was a bigger group. We also know that there was a smaller group. There was a group of three that were part of the 12, but they were Jesus' closest friends. They were the ones that, when we get to the story of uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, as it's referred to, um, as Jesus goes up and, and meets with some, some prophets from the Old Testament, or some people from the Old Testament, and talks about how uh, that Peter sees this and he wants to build three different, three different tributes to them, three different um, memorials of sorts to them. Uh, as he sees this happening. Because in this one glorious occasion, there was Peter, James, and John. It wasn't the whole 12. It was Peter, James, and John that were with him. And even as Jesus is going into the darkest time in his life, as he's getting ready to give his life on the cross for you and for me and for all that have come before us and all that will come after us, as he's getting ready to give his life on the cross and is going to pray, he brings with him three of his disciples. He brings Peter, James, and John pray with him. They were his three closest friends. The person who denied Jesus earlier in the book of John, Peter, was one of his closest friends. Have you ever had a friend stab you in the back? 
Have you ever had them say something painful or hurtful, mean, maybe not even true? It sucks. It's not fun. And it, it hurts. Peter, Peter denied Jesus. He said he had never followed Jesus. You're not alone in that pain if you've got that going right now with a friend, with a relationship. You're not alone. Jesus can relate to where you're at. Maybe it was even at your lowest point in life where, where someone said something or did something unforgivable. Again, Jesus can relate to your pain. Proverbs 11.9 says this. It says, With words the godless destroy their friends. And then we read in Proverbs 18.21 where it says, The tongue can bring death or life to those... Uh, uh, death or life, those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Have you ever heard the saying, sticks and stones may break, break my bones, but words will never hurt me? It simply isn't true. Words hurt. You can bully somebody, you can make somebody feel like less of a person by not doing anything physical, but just with the words that you, you use. Your words matter. But just like words can tear down and destroy, the opposite is true. It, the words can also build people up. They can let people know that they have value. I am a words of affirmation guy. If you have ever read Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, you know that there's five different ways that he classifies it, that, uh, that he talks about that people feel love. And if you haven't read this book, um, there's different versions of it. I, the, the one for couples is the one I was talking about. I would highly encourage you, just as a little sidebar here, pick up the bo book, read it, Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. But he says there's five different ways people show their love. One of them is words of affirmation, as I've already mentioned. Others look at it when someone does someone, something for them, when someone does an act of service for them. That's how they know they're loved. Still others look at it when you spend time with them. The more time you spend with them, the more they feel loved. And then there's another group that, that likes the physical touch. And no, that's not simply sexual, so we don't even need to go there. But there's five different ways that he talks about. And like I said, one of them is words of affirmation. Your words have power. Not only can they tear down, but they can build up. I am a words of affirmation guy. And your words mean a lot. In fact, over the last several weeks, I've gotten a number of messages from a variety of people saying thank you, saying how much they appreciate something or other that I've done. That means a ton. Thank you if you're one of those people that has done that and sent that note. I can't tell you how much that means to me and how much I appreciate it. Because your words can build people up. Your words make an impact. Your words have power. In John 21, we see those power of words, and we see that Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to reaffirm his love for Jesus. Don't forget that your words have power. But it wasn't only about the words. Did you notice that the second time, or that each time, I'm sorry, as Peter is affirming his love for Jesus, that Jesus tells him to do something? In verse 15, it's feed my lambs. In verse 16, it's take care of my sheep. And in verse 17, it's feed my sheep. Peter's love for Jesus required action. And that's my second point. 
Our love for Jesus requires action. It's not just words, it's action. In reference to sheep and lambs, this wasn't just a furry farm animals. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, go take care of my farm. But instead he was referring to the church. If we look back in, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus had plans to use Peter to help build the church much, many, many weeks, days, months before this time. He had plans to, that Peter would be the guy leading his church. He was telling Peter, as he went through and gave Peter the chance to reaffirm himself, he was saying, Peter, if you love me, get out there and take care of my church. Put some action behind those words, because Peter's love required action. As I started today, I told you how I screwed up and said something really hurtful, but I didn't want my, that I didn't want my kids since then, I've said many times that I love my kids and want them. But if it had only been those words, would it really mean anything? There had to be actions that went with those words. It was things like, like spending time with them. It was things like attending their activities. It was listening to their stories about their life, what they're going through at school, what's happening with their friends, what their passions are, what their interests are, what they want to do in the future, letting them dream. It's... It's working hard so that I can provide for my kids, so that they have the food that they need, they have clothes that they need, they have a roof over the head, and, and even more than that, because God's been good and he's blessed, and he gets the credit of that. But my words of love for my kids, after I had screwed up and said something hurtful, wouldn't have meant near as much if they hadn't seen it and if they don't continue to see it by the way I'm living my life. My actions are evidence to support my words. In James 2, 14 through 18, we read, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does it do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. When people are looking at your life or my life, what do they see? Do they see evidence of our alleged love for Jesus? Do they see those actions? They should, because our love for Jesus requires action. So where are you at today? Are you where Peter was during that crucifixion? Maybe you've done something terrible. Maybe you slip back into seeking your strength from alcohol, food, or drugs. Maybe you're not seeking Jesus like you should have. Maybe you're struggling with a porn addiction, or maybe it's just porn in general. Maybe you're dealing with an affair. Maybe you're dealing with hatred towards somebody. Somebody did something for you, to you or to somebody close to you 
or for whatever reason you're wrestling with hatred towards a person. Maybe you haven't been connected with a church or with Jesus. You haven't been growing your relationship with Him. Maybe there's some other sin, something that's eating you up, something that's caused you to run from Jesus. I don't know what it would be. I don't know where you are at. But I do want you to know this, and this is my final point. It's that nothing can keep you from the love of Jesus. He's waiting to welcome you back into a close friendship with him. This doesn't mean there aren't consequences for what you've done. It doesn't mean that there won't be a consequence to this action or this sin. But he's still waiting to welcome you back. He wants a personal relationship with you. And, and please don't get the order of this wrong, because this order matters. Jesus didn't ask Peter, Peter, Jesus didn't ask Peter to fix what he'd done or to go out and take care of his church, and once he had done that, come back and say that he loved him. It was only after Peter professed his love for Jesus that Jesus tells him to take care of his sheep. Please don't try to fix your messes and then go to Jesus. That's not what he wants. He wants first a relationship with you. Please don't try and go back and kick that addiction before coming to Jesus because it's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for you to clean up every sin in your life, every bad thought in your life, everything that you've done that you wished you hadn't done, and then come to him. What he's saying is, is come to me. Nothing can keep you from Jesus. He wants a relationship with you. So if, it's, if it is something, first I would say go to him. Tell him you love him. Ask forgiveness. And then, with his help, as you develop that relationship with him, you can tackle those things that, that are those sins in the past. Maybe you're listening right now, online or in person, and you're thinking back and realizing that you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus. There's not a time that you can look back on where you have put your trust in him. It's not that you had a relationship with Jesus, that you were living for him, and that you screwed up. It's, it's that you never had a relationship in the first place. And I want to just pause here. If you have had a relationship with him and screwed up, there's nothing that you can do to lose that relationship with him. Yes, it can get strained. Yes, it can get hard. But... There's nothing that you can do that would cause you to lose that relationship with him. So please make sure that you hear that first. But if you've never had that relationship in the first place, you've never come to a point where you've said, I need a relationship with you, Jesus. I am a sinner. I need you. There's no time like the present. In Romans 3.23, Paul tells us that every one of us have sinned. He goes on to tell us in Romans 6.23 that none of us can get into a right relationship with Jesus by the good things that we do. And that would be totally and completely depressing if it wasn't for the fact that he also tells us in Romans 5.8 and John 3.16 that God sent his son Jesus to take on that penalty for that sin. And then 
He rose again three days later. If we accept this gift of salvation and put our faith in Jesus for forgiveness, we can be saved. You can be saved. So if you're at that point today where you realize that you need a personal relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you as we wrap up here, as we go to this time of prayer, as we end this, this sermon, I would ask that you take that time, tell Jesus that you want a relationship with him. He's waiting for you to have a relationship with him. Tell him that. You love him. You need a relationship with him. You want a relationship with him. You need him to forgive your sins and that you're accepting his gift of salvation. He's waiting for you. There's nothing that he would want more than to have that relationship with you. And for those of you who are already at that point where you say, hey, I've got that relationship, but maybe, maybe I've screwed up. Maybe I'm dealing with that sin. I want to encourage you. Moses screwed up killed somebody, but yet God restored him and he led his people. I want to encourage you that David screwed up and had an affair, yet God reached out to him and brought forgiveness in that relationship and said that he was a man after his own heart. We can go on and on about the number of people who have made mistakes and screwed up in the Bible. We can share stories from people that I know who have made mistakes you aren't too far gone wherever you're at, whatever it feels like that there's that separation, you're not too far. He wants to reaffirm you. He wants you to know that he loves you. So take this opportunity even as we wrap up today. Tell him you love him. Let him know that you know that you've screwed up and that you don't know how to get back and deal with that but that you want him in your life. You want him to restore that relationship. I promise you, like for Peter, he's waiting for you, and he wants that relationship with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for every person that, that is here, for those that are online. I thank you that that you love us in spite of the stupid things that we've said or done. I thank you that you care about us in spite of how we may have denied you at a time. Whatever it is, God, I, I am thankful that you love me and that you love us. I ask God that you would work in the lives of every person here right now that wherever they're joining us from, if there's something that they need to confess, that they would do so. If they need to get back into a right relationship with you, that they would share with you that, that they love you and they want that. That they would ask for your forgiveness, that, that they would realize that you are waiting with your arms open wide for them. And God, for those who are here or are listening at any point that don't know what it means to have a relationship with you or simply have not taken the time to make that decision, I ask that right now that your spirit would be convicting and working in their lives to a point where they realize that you love them 
and that they would, even though they don't maybe completely understand what it looks like, that they would know whatever it looks like, they need you. And that this would be the day that they turn to you. That they acknowledge that they need you, that they are sinners, and that they need your forgiveness that you give us because of your son Jesus dying on that cross and rising again, taking on the sin of everyone before him, during his lifetime, and after his lifetime. That they would have that, that opportunity. God, I ask that today in your son Jesus' precious, powerful name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv.